0: who we're to worship in verse four he says you shall not make for yourself any idols or any likeness of what is in heaven above the earth or beneath the earth or the water under the earth you shall not worship them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting iniquities of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing loving kindness to thousand to those who love me and keep my commandments he tells you how he is to be worshiped so you see who How? And then the third commandment is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. So he tells you to what extent he's to be worshipped. And so that there's no confusion if anyone thinks that the second commandment means that okay, so I have these things that God commands about idols but I'm not worshipping them but I'm representing God with these things or I'm saying that I'm not breaking the second command because I'm not worshipping it. No, you're not. You're breaking the third one. Because to make any image or to make anything and to attribute to it God other than what God has revealed in His Word is to take His name in vain. It's to use it frivolously. And so then we come to the end of it and it talks about when are you to worship Him. But I want you to notice something as we look. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But, on the se- but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, in it you shall not do any work. You and your son or daughter, your maid or your female servant, your cattle or your sojourners who stay with you. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." What I would just point out to you from reading that is when you remember that the Ten Commandments, when they were given, it was at a mountain that was shaking the ground and there was fire and smoke rising above it. There was no other time in the history of mankind that anything had been delivered in such a manner to a people so personally. And all of this, these four verses, speak of how man is to relate to God, but not any man, God's covenant people, His children, the one... the one for whom He is their Elohim. Not not the pagan, the elect of God, as the Scripture says, the covenant people of God. And what verse 4 shows us, or the fourth commandment shows us, is this is our response to God that is similar to the shaking of the ground and the smoking of the mountain when the people of God honor His Sabbath day. So let me first of all tell you what does the word Sabbath mean. The word Sabbath is a Hebrew word that comes from the the word Shabbat. Shabbat. Apparently, and it derives from the meaning to cease. So Sabbath means to cease. The Sabbath being the day that the regular labor ceases Exodus cites God's work of creation on the basis for the command of verse 11. The command in verse 11 is this. Look what it says. He says, For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and He made it holy. Now, Deuteronomy, if you want to just write this down, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12, says the basis of the Sabbath is an ordinance on the deliverance from Egypt. So when we say an ordinance, it's a sacrament. It's a means of grace. Not a means of grace that it saves you, but a means of grace that it points to the way of salvation. So the Sabbath ordinance is rooted in two things. This is what I want you to get by way of introduction. The Sabbath ordinance or the Sabbath sacrament, whatever you want to call it, the ordinance is rooted in both creation and redemption. It looks backwards to God's creation. That's what verse 11 does. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. The Sabbath looks back to God's creation. But Hebrews tells us something interesting. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, it says that the Sabbath also looks towards the final redemptive Sabbath rest of God's people. Where will that happen? In the new heaven and the new earth. The final Sabbath. So the observance of the Sabbath day, where God gives the fourth commandment and He tells His children what they're to do, His covenant people what they're to do, their observing of the Sabbath is both looking back to creation and looking forward to creation's restoration, the new creation that all comes through Christ. The creation was created by Christ, and the new creation will be created in Christ as well. And we will have what is known as the Sabbath rest for eternity. That's what it means. What we struggle with here, we will cease doing there. Sabbath means to cease. So that's what you need to take away this morning it does not mean to rest. The word is to cease. All right, I'm checking cattle, resting in my truck. Okay? Or I'm resting in my chair watching Jerry Jones. I cannot study the Fourth Commandment and not think of Jerry Jones. I almost think of him more than I think of God on the Fourth Commandment, because there was a day you didn't have Sunday football. But I'm resting, and I've been told there's ox in the ditch, and I'm going to get that today. don't worry, but I'm a big boy, I can take it. What I want you to hear is this: It means to cease cease. And so what are you going to do if you're going to, just by way of introduction to apply it, if you're going to honor the Sabbath and you really want to honor it as a believer, and I'm going to show you, I'm going to prove it up why you should, and you want to honor the Sabbath as a believer, the Lord's Day as a believer, you're going to have to cease your resistance. What do they say to somebody they're handcuffing that's trying to get away? Stop resisting. You will not cease until you stop resisting. So let me show this In verse 10, I want to show you one other thing so you understand our definitions. We're all on the same page of what the Scripture means. Okay, what the Scripture is saying by way of definition. Sabbath means to cease. Okay? But then he says in verse 10, shall not do any work. Shall not do any work. What does that mean? The Sabbath is not designed as a burden. The Sabbath is not designed as a burden. But a blessed release from hard labor. That comes from Mark chapter 2, verse 27. So the Sabbath rest, to cease on the Sabbath, to cease to work, is not a hindrance, it's a blessing. The holiness of the day separates it to the Lord so that it's enjoyed by sharing His rest. We share His rest. He created the earth. And the heavens in six days rested on the seventh. So sharing His rest, we celebrate His work and we celebrate His redemption. You know where that's found? Deuteronomy 5 verse 15. So, so you understand this is not to say you are to observe a Sabbath. It's not to place a burden upon you. It's for you to accept a blessing of rest. It's for you to accept a blessing of rest. And so let me prove this up for you this morning Hopefully, using Scripture. So, I want to talk to you about the title of the message Observe My Day and Keep It Holy. Observe My Day and Keep It Holy. Many Christians are turning back to the Puritans today, as they are also turning back to others, to walk in the old paths, to walk in the old paths, to walk in the old ways of God. And to continue to proclaim old truths that glorify Jesus Christ. And there are new and, and yet there is no new technology. In in our electronic age, more and more people are looking to add electronic books, mobile devices, PDFs, all that stuff, all wonderful to their library, books from the Reformers and from the Puritans and Confessions and all of those things and catechisms in order to become digital Puritans. And so I can read this stuff and I can talk about it at lunch and blow somebody's mind. I listened to this the other day and I'm going to do this on all of you. I've been doing it for some time anyway. Elon Musk, who currently is the richest man in the world that's about to be overshadowed by another man from China, was asked this question. How do you know when you interview someone for a job at Tesla, they're lying to you? And he said, it's very easy. He said, I asked them, the person that's interviewing, tell me the hardest problem you've ever had. And so they will tell him the hardest problem they've ever had. And then he will say, tell me how you solved it. And he said, if they're lying to me, they will only get past the first step. They will not get past the first step. Christians are a lot like that too. You ask them a question and they'll quote something they heard. They have enough information to be dangerous. But those that can tell you, that's a whole different story. This understanding of the Sabbath, my friends, is something maybe some could get to the first level at. But we have no idea the blessing and the grace that rests here in this commandment of God. And I'm going to show you what they are. How do you keep the Sabbath day holy? Number one is the authority of the Sabbath. The authority of the Sabbath. Listen to me. The subject of a Christian Sabbath, which is also known as the Lord's Day, instituted in the New Testament, which is Sunday, the first day of the week, is a subject which is forced upon our notice. The minds of many are agitated by the questions arising out of it. If the observance of the Sabbath is the observance of the Sabbath binding upon the Christian, have we any right to tell a man that to do his business or to seek his pleasure on Sunday is a sin? Is it desirable to open places of public amusement on the Lord's Day? All these are questions that are continually being asked. They are questions to which we ought to be able to give a decided answer. And the subject is one of immense importance. It is not too much to say that the prosperity and the decay of organized Christianity depends on the maintenance of the Christian Sabbath. Break down the fence which now surrounds our Sunday, and our Sunday schools will soon come to an end. And is it not what we're seeing now in our nation Professing Christians will say have a few plain words on the subject of the Sabbath. As a minister of Christ, a father of a family, or a lover of my country, I want you to know something. I feel bound, especially at this place, to plead on behalf of Christians to keep Sunday for the Lord. And let me tell you why. The authority of the Sabbath. The authority of the Sabbath. Let us consider what authority the Sabbath stands upon. What authority does this day stand upon? For many of you, you would say, well, it was a mere Jewish ordinance that we are no more bound to keep it holy than to offer sacrifices. You would proclaim perhaps that the world uh, th- to the world, that the observance of the Lord's Day rests upon nothing but the church's authority Mm-mm. and cannot be proved by the Word of God. You say wrongly, sir. It is my own conviction this morning from Scripture that the observance of the Sabbath, and write this down, is part of the eternal law of God. It's part of the eternal law of God. It's not a mere Jewish ordinance. It's not a man-made institution. It is not coming from pastor-craft or priest-craft. It's not an unauthorized imposition of the church. It's one of the everlasting rules by which God has revealed for the guidance of all mankind and I offer you the proof. Letter A. Here's the proof. Letter A. Let's just look at creation. Number one proof is this. Look at the history of creation. And God blessed the seventh day and He sanctified it. Genesis 2.3 The first place the authority of the Sabbath stands is on the historical work, the creative work of God in creating the heavens and the earth in sixth day and, re- and resting on the seventh and making that day holy. Number two, giving the law at Sinai, or letter B. The giving of the law at Sinai. You read the whole commandment out of ten devoted to the Sabbath day, and that it is the longest, the fullest, and the most detailed. It's Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11. It is the longest of the commandments. And it is the last of the four commandments dealing with man's relationship to God before he starts with man's relationship with man. And it circles back to God because God is saying, this is who I am, this is you worship me, this is how you will worship me, this is to what extent you will worship me, and this is when you will worship me. And it is His most fullest command. Letter C, look at the writings of the Old Testament prophets. We're talking about the authority. What authority does the Sabbath stand upon? One, the history of creation. Next, the law at Mount Sinai. Next, the writings of the Old Testament prophets. In them repeatedly, they're speaking on the breach of the Sabbath. Over and over again, they are speaking to the people for breaking covenant, for breaking the commandments, for not following the Sabbath side by side with the most heinous transgressions of the moral law. Just write these verses down. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 13 and 16 and 24. Read those later. You will notice, and I learned this at a young age before I was even in ministry. I learned this. Whenever you are not where you are supposed to be, typically you will be found in trouble. And that is exactly what's happening to them in Ezekiel. You find him speaking at one of the great sins which brought judgment on Israel and carried the Jews into captivity in Nehemiah 13:18. Why did he say that to them? Why did he carry them away? Because they said number 1, it's not important. Number 2, we have the temple, it doesn't matter. We've got the physical presence of God, the spiritual presence here and all that. And what did they do? They continued to say, we have the temple, we have the temple, but they would not go up to the temple and worship. And so God carried them away. He has given this commandment. His foundation is already established, but oh no, there's more. In letter D, I turn to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ when He was upon the earth. I don't ever see in the New Testament, and I know many of you have read the Gospels, but there's one time that Jesus Christ discredits the Ten Commandments. That There's one time that Jesus Christ makes them less than what they are because He has come. On the contrary, we find Him declaring at the onset of His ministry that He came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And in the Ten Commandments is a summary of all the law. And the context of the passage where he uses these words satisfies me that he was not speaking to ceremonial law. If you want to write it down, it's Matthew 5, 17. He was speaking to moral law. The moral law, which is the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Jesus didn't abolish it. Oh, but we live in the age of grace. Well, the one who brought it didn't abolish it. The Sabbath stands on that foundation. Letter E, I turn to the writings of the Apostles. The writings of the apostles. They're plain speaking. They're very plain speaking. They speak of the ceremonial laws and the sacrifices and the ordinances. And he calls them carnal and weak. And he says, Apostle Paul says, they were shadows of things to come. But he also says they're like a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That's a means of grace. That's what he says to the Galatians. Do you know what the Galatians had done? The Galatians had decided they got this Jesus. They don't have to do anything anymore. They believe. You know what? It's all about love. It's all about getting along. It's all about making it through. Don't make anybody disagree with you. Make everybody love you because you never know what they're going to say about you behind your back and do all that. And Paul doesn't even meet when he writes them. It's the only letter he writes where he doesn't say grace and peace to you. He says, I am amazed you have been bewitched by another the gospel. And it is in that gospel that he teaches, that in that epistle that he teaches, don't you know the law is the schoolmaster that leads you to salvation, to Jesus. And so, you cannot find a syllable in the writings which teach any one of the Ten Commandments is done away with. You can't find it. Just like you can't find infant baptism, you can't find it. When he teaches the Ephesians' duty to children and to parents, he quotes the fifth commandment. He says, Honor your mother and your father, which is a first commandment with a promise. Notice, Jesus doesn't go through this long elaboration. Jesus says, How do you teach? Return up your children? Teach them the fifth commandment. They don't abolish the law. There's much more I can say, but I want to give you letter F. Not only do we see the writings of the apostles, but let's look at the practice of the apostles when they engaged in church planting planting the church that is in Christ, not planting the church of Christ, the church in Christ. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, you see of this spoken of as a day. I find the day spoken of by one of them as the Lord's day, which is also referenced in Revelation 1.10. Undoubtedly, the day was changed from the Jewish Sabbath to the Christian day of the Lord. It was made the first day of the week in memory of the Lord's resurrection instead of the seventh. And we believe the apostles were divinely inspired to make that change because it's divinely put in the book. It's in the Bible. And at the same time, wisely, it was done, it was directed to make no, listen to me, this is important, to make no public decree about it. There was no public decree about it. You have to, you're going to have to read your Bible maybe more than you want to to understand what I mean. They were not to make any public about, decree, about, decree about it. They were just to do it. And there is a reason. Because all it would have done in Jerusalem and in, in Judea and Samaria is raise the ferment in the Jewish mind and caused needless offenses. Remember, the Sabbath is not something that's burdensome. But they said, we are the new creation. Jesus Christ was raised as our new creation, Savior. He was raised from the dead on the first day of the week. And that is when the way shall meet. The ecclesia, the church, on the first day. That is called the Lord's Day. Or the Christian Sabbath. Number G, letter G. This is the last one. This is the last reason on which the authority of the Sabbath. So you're going to have to you know, call me over to the office or come have coffee with me and you're going to have to prove up that the Bible doesn't say these things about the authority of the Sabbath. You're going to have to go beyond just your reason. I might have to Elon Musk you. The last page or the the last place to look are the pages of unfulfilled prophecy in the Bible. Of unfulfilled prophecy in the Bible. There is a plain prediction, brothers and sisters, in the Bible that when the Lord shall cover all of the earth, He shall still be, there shall still be a Sabbath. Listen to these words from one sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me saith the lord isaiah 66:23 the subject of this prophecy no doubt is deep but i want you to understand this in the days to come on the earth there is to be a sabbath and on the new earth there will be a sabbath And in the Sabbath we have now is not for the Jews only, but as Isaiah says, it is for all flesh. All flesh. And when we see this, it takes great, it it takes great intellectual dishonesty. It takes great lack of character. To say that God meant the Sabbath to cease between the first coming of Jesus and the second. That is the authority of the Sabbath. And I want to offer you two cautions before I move on to the purpose of the Sabbath. I just want to give you briefly two cautions. Number one, be aware of undervaluing the Old Testament. Be aware of undervaluing the Old Testament. I write this because of 20 plus years in the ministry. I know how people want to come back at this. There has risen of late years a most unhappy tendency to slide and despise any religious argument which is drawn from the Old Testament. And to regard the man who uses it as dark, but old-fashioned and a legalist. Here's the second thing I want you to beware of. Beware of despising the law of the Ten Commandments. Beware of despising the law of the Ten Commandments. At the coming of Christ's gospel, and with it, it did not alter the position of the Ten Commandments. One hair's breadth. There is no testimony of it in Scripture. There is no testimony of it. Testimony of those who have written faithfully in Christ for 2,000 years. There's been no change except what has been conceived in the dark hearts of mind and the failure of men to stand and preach it as it stands in Scripture on the authority as you have now seen. Number two, the purpose of the Sabbath. The second point I propose to examine for you is the purpose of the Sabbath. Many are raising a cry in this present day as, as if I am somehow right now inflicting on you a positive in, in, injury. That right now I am hurting you. I may be causing you to shudder at inviting somebody to come to church or to be this kind of Christian person. That I'm, that I'm somehow calling you to do something that is altogether culturally irrelevant, completely misunderstood, and absolutely insignificant. That is the cry after all. But you see, I want you to understand something. What we learn from Mark chapter 2, verse 27, The Sabbath is God's merciful appointment for the common benefits of all of mankind. It was made for men the Sabbath was not made for the Sabbath. Men weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for men. And with the Sabbath being made for men, those who observed the Sabbath, if they observed it, then no men had to serve those men that observed the Sabbath. I was telling one man the other day, as a freshman, at, or as a sophomore, what 1992, whatever I was at Texas Tech and for whatever strange reason today I wore all my Texas Tech stuff, I don't know why. For some strange reason, though back then, you couldn't go watch the picture show on Sunday in Lubbock, Texas in 1992. The mall was closed. The only place it was open was black eyed peas and furs. Service merchandise wasn't open. That was the precursor to Best Buy. We thought that was the coolest thing because you could go in there and walk on, tra- walk on treadmills and ride tractors. That was before Best Buy. Service merchandise. There was nothing open. Chinese food restaurant, Chinese kitchen on 50th was open. Nothing was open except furs and the black-eyed pea. And you know who kept those places open. And we all raced to get there when church was out. But if, the, but, but if there was no one to do business, then there would be no need to be open, right? So that's where the Sabbath gives rest to all men, because rest is a good thing. But let me show you something. It was given for the good of all classes, for the laity, for the laity, quite as much as for the clergy. It's just as much as for you as those who are in the clergy, the, those of the, the people of God that, that stand in the pulpit and those that sit in the pew. It, it, it's not a yoke, but a blessing. It's not a burden, but it's a mercy. It's not a hard, wearisome requirement, but a mighty public benefit. It's not an ordinance which man is bid to use in faith without knowing why he uses it. It's for your benefit. It's for your enjoyment. It's so that your mind can rest. Your body can rest. So that your cattle can rest. So that whatever it is you have can rest. Your laborer can rest. I'll tell you why this is so hard to preach in our society today. It's not because of the few of you that are going to accuse me of being a legalist, to your own shame, but it's because Americans are workaholics. This is no problem in Germany. You get six months vacation, you work 30 hours a week. What a deal. I couldn't even make it. As a preacher, I'd have to preach two-minute sermons. So let me show you a few things about this. I want to give you four things, talking about the purpose of the Sabbath very quickly. The Sabbath is good for a man's body. The Sabbath is good for a man's body. We all need to rest. So if you're, if you're getting nitpicked at on needing to rest, then guess what? Whoever's nitpicking you is going to say, James said. No, the Bible says. We all need a day of rest. And on this point, at any rate, all medical means men are agreed. Our human frame is... I want to preach a sermon to you soon on the benefits of a nap. And you say, well, wait a minute. Well, some of you didn't hear that because you're already sleeping. But um, the benefit of a nap is this. God gave rest as a benefit. That's a means of grace. I'm going to show it to you. But that's another day. Number B, letter B, the Sabbath is good for man's mind. Let me tell you about a man that changed a society, changed a whole world. He was pastored by a man, you may not know his name, but you know his song. But the man that changed the world was this guy that was a lawyer named William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was pastored by a blind old preacher that used to be a sodomite slave ship captain that got gloriously born again. and became a pastor named John Newton of Olney. John Newton, of course, wrote the amazing song, Amazing Grace. And of course, he hasn't been uh, canceled yet, when you consider what he did. And so you have amazing grace, and William Wilberforce makes a striking point, because what did William Wilberforce do? For 40 years in Parliament with his little group known as the Clampham Sect, not politicians, they went to Parliament, and it took 40 years. They abolished the slave trade, and when that happened, you had slavery end in this country. But this is what Wilberforce says. At every point that Wilberforce spoke, they said, he declared that his brilliance and power of endurance was because he regularly observed the Sabbath day. I would not say that's the only reason, but when he walked to Parliament, he quoted out loud the 119th Psalm. The man that did I want you to think about that. To end, I mean we're talking about we're not talking about biblical slavery. We're talking about the slave root slavery, the bad stuff. The man that changed the world had such most important job on the planet that affected millions and millions. He could do it in six days and rest the seventh. I can't say anything else. That's just good illustration. Letter C, the Sabbath is good for a nation. A people which regularly rest one day and seven will do more work and better work in a year than the people who never rest at all. I would state Israel. They observe a biblical Sabbath uh, as Jews, uh, their, their Sabbaths are a blast. You know how on Sundays we go have a big meal? They do that on the Sabbath evening. The women come in, they light the candles. ah oh, Shamah. They do all this stuff, and then it's everybody grab a fork and run to the table. And you got ribeyes. It is huge. It is a blast. They sing all night, and they still show up for church. Or, well, these are the Messianic Jews. And they, they show up the next morning, and, it, and of course they're not showing up for church. They're showing up for whatever they're showing up for. But anyway, they have this huge thing. What we do on Sunday afternoons and then have to take a big old nap, they do on, on the Sabbath evening at the sundown. Then they sleep really good and show up at church and man, they're jazzed. And then after service and that night when the sun goes down, they eat all the leftovers. I mean, they party. But here's the point. Bill and Johnny went to Israel several years ago before I went, and then I went, and then I've been back several times. And you know, you remember you go down by the Dead Sea, and it's all that sandy stuff and all that. Well, you go down there now, there's no sand. It's all banana trees, avocados, uh, strawberries, because they have learned how to grow fruit in trees and trees and, and, and dirt that's full of salt. How'd they do that? Because they rest on the seventh day. They rest and they observe it, and you're not even going to be able to get a hamburger, trust me, in Jerusalem on a Saturday during the Sabbath, unless you go to the red light district. And they do serve bacon on them. The people which regularly rest one day in seven will do more work and better work in a year than people which never rest. So I'm just going to say this to you with all love. You know, y'all tell me, James, you need to delegate things. You know what? Y'all need to rest. You need to rest. It's called work because there's work to do. That's why they call it work. I remember when I, I remember this when I come to work. It's work. I'm never going to finish work. It's called work. But there's a time to rest. And last but not least, the fourth part, the Sabbath, the Sabbath is an unmixed good for man's soul. The soul has its wants just as much as the mind. And to have those interests properly attended to, there must be a special day set apart. There needs to be a regularly recurring time of examining the state of our souls. Every morning my prayer is, Lord, sift me. I don't advise you to pray that unless you're serious about it. Lord, sift me. There's days to rest and there's days that God has to test and to prove us our faith. We have to sit down. You think Elon Musk's interview questions are something. What about the one who already knows the answer that he asks you? So whether we know it or not, the Sabbath is one of the richest possessions. It is a good for our bodies, our minds, and our souls. So I've shown you the authority of the Sabbath. I've shown you the purpose of the Sabbath. Now, number three, how do we keep it? How should we keep the Sabbath? The great difference of opinion exists. There's those in here. It is one which even friends of the Sabbath are not thoroughly agreed upon. Many, I believe, would contend as strongly as I do for a Sabbath, but not for a Sabbath to which perhaps I would contend. They may desire simply a state that appears to be in the mind of God as revealed in Holy Scripture. But What we need to remember is this. What does God's Word say about it? We have established God's Word says something. We have established the authority of the Sabbath. It is based upon the Word. Now, if the Word of God is not sufficient for you, well, it doesn't make any difference either because that Jesus isn't either. And you've got a whole lot bigger problem. You've got a way bigger problem, because you've got to figure out which part of the Bible's relative and which one's not, and you're never going to do that, because you didn't write it. And so here's the deal. What, does it, what, what then appears to be the will of God about the manner of observing the Sabbath day or the Lord's day? Well, there's two general rules I want to give you. Here they are. The first rule is this: that day must be kept as a day of rest. So someone can say, well, what if I work shift where I'm three days on, four days off, four days on, three days off, and all that. That, Okay, that's, that's the world we live in, okay? But one day you need to rest, and that's your Sabbath. Okay? So that's the first general rule. If you're going to be a Sabbath keeper then one of the things you need to do, because remember, this is a blessing. I'm not telling you to go and impose this on... The, the Christians did not go and impose this upon the Jews in Jerusalem, so don't go out of here and say that about me. I'm not doing that. But I'm going to say this. One general rule is this. It, if you're going to keep the Sabbath, it has to be a day of rest. A whole day. It's a day. A day is a day. Okay? So Listen to what the Bible says. Thou shalt not do any work Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy maid, doesn't it sound more official when it's King James? Nor thy maid servant, nor thy manservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. No work. So the first general rule of keeping the Sabbath, of observing the Sabbath, the Lord Day, is rest. You must cease from your work. Okay? That's the first one. Works of necessity and mercy may be done. Works of necessity and mercy may be done. Our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us this. He, he touched so that there are works that are allowable in the Old Testament times. He even says, have you not read what David did? Have you not read what the priests in the temple, they profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Matthew 12 verse 5. Whatever in short is necessary to preserve and maintain life, whether of ourselves or other creatures, or to do good for the souls of men, may they be done on the Sabbath day with total confidence it is done without sin. So acts of ministry, acts of mercy, and acts of necessity. Of all three of those, the one that is the acts of necessity, you have six days to figure out how to make that not be a necessity on the seventh. But I mean, if, it's, if you're running cattle and it's ten degrees below zero outside and you don't make it to observe your Sabbath because you've got to go break ice, fear not, you are not sinning to feed the cattle. Got it? All right. Number two, here's the second general rule. The first one is, you gotta rest. The second one is, you gotta keep it holy. It's gotta be hallowed. Now when I'm done with the Ten Commandments, you know what the next sermon series is? The Lord's Prayer. And so I'm saving hallowed for that time. And I'll refer back to this in about eight weeks. It needs to be kept holy. What does that mean? It's not to be carnal. It's not to be a sensual rest like that of the worshippers of the golden calf who sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. It is a holy rest. By the way, that's Exodus 32 verse 6. It's to be a rest in which as far as possible the affairs of the soul may be attended to. I don't read the mail. I don't pay the bills. I don't really watch TV. Well, I just pretty much sleep all day on Sunday and buy lunch. It's business on another world minded. It's my mind on the business of the other world. It's, a, it's communion with God and, and Christ. It's a great day to read. It's a great day to read the Puritans. It's a great day to read uh, something that you enjoy for the glory of God. In short, it ought never to be forgotten that the Sabbath is the Sabbath of the Lord our God. That's Exodus 20 verse 10. So remember, it's a day that you rest... But it is His Sabbath, and because it is His Sabbath that He has commanded us to observe, and because it is His Sabbath that we observe, we must keep it holy because He is holy. So that's it. I thought, wow, that was easy. That was a whole lot less painful than I thought you were going to do. I thought you were going to sound like a fundamentalist for a minute. The only question for a Christian ought to be is this. The only question it ought to be. What does the Bible teach? God measures what is right must surely not be brought down to the measure of a man. Well, brother James, you just uh-uh I, no, I'm 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 too old for that now. I'm too old for that. I'm not a boy anymore. Well, this is what people think. No, it doesn't matter. What does the Bible say? You know Billy Graham when he teach, Billy Graham was very non-confrontational but over and over again, what would he say? The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Jesus Christ said it too, and they crucified Him. Man's measure should rather be brought up to the measure of God, and that simply is what does the Word of God say. I have given you clearly in this message plenty to prove to you that the Sabbath still exists for the Christian. And to deny it is to be intellectually dishonest or else to claim you're a Gnostic. At that point, I'll refer you to 1 John. And you should join us on Wednesday night for the weekly roast. The authority of the Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath, and how should it be kept? Now, let me briefly show you four ways in which it is profaned. And then I want to talk to you about the church. I want to talk to you about the church. The four ways in which it's profaned. There are two kinds of Sabbath desecration which require us to notice. One is the more private kind of which thousands are continually guilty and which can only be checked by awakening men's consciences. They're continually guilty because of their private Sabbath consecration, desecration, what's going on in their minds. I mean the reckless, thoughtless, secular way of spending the Sunday. Where everyone looks around Him must know this is common. Who make the Lord's day a day for giving parties, for looking to their own accounts, for doing unnecessary journeys, for quietly transacting worldly business, a day of reading things that do not edify God or you. This is the sort of thing that needs to be checked. That's desecrating the Sabbath privately. Do not worry, I am not coming to your house to see if you desecrate the Sabbath privately. I have enough desecration to deal with. Thank you. Number two, the other way that the Sabbath is desecrated is the public kind, which can be only remedied by public opinion and the strong arm of the law the strong arm of the law. Now there are those that will say you cannot legislate morality. I disagree. You can because legislation is moral. I think what is meant to say is you cannot legislate behavior. I cannot legislate behavior in my home but my two children will tell you that I did legislate morality because when their behavior was not in line with what I legislated, uh, they got the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge. It had nothing to do with morality. It had to do with behavior. I cannot legislate how you behave. But because because it's moral, I can definitely bring to bear the consequences. And so let me just close this portion. I have much more to say, but there's something better. I want you just to hear this as I finish this part. So you know that regardless of what you believe, you know what I believe. So long as the Bible is the Bible, so long as the Bible is the Bible, the fourth commandment is the fourth commandment. Now, listen to me. You don't need to take any more notes. I want you to listen to me. There's a very difficult way today to tell who the church is and who the church is not. And it seems to occupy many conversations. And we hear about what people think about this pastor or that pastor or this congregation or that congregation. I want you to to remember this. You will never value your pastor more than you value the sheep. You will never value the ministry of the pastor more than you value the sheep. The pastor's job is twofold to lead God's sheep in Christ to green pastures and to feed them so that they may be presented for sacrifice without blemish. That's his job. So its jobs to make you uncomfortable, make you go where you don't want to go. And the second part is, is to tend to their needs, their injuries, and their wounds. That's his job. And in the process, he equips those sheep to bring in more sheep. I want you to hear this. One of the reasons everything is so out of whack in this country is because the church doesn't look like the church if it is old. And some of you are old enough in here to remember what that looked like and you long for it, and you thought it was the hymn book. We have that. The other day, I got the charge the hymn book's too heavy. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, there is no condition on the earth in which the church cannot survive. I believe that. I don't care what they say about us in Sybils, Ben or Sherman. There is no condition on the earth in which the church cannot survive and the church is not smothered by any country, any regime or any propaganda as much as she is smothered by her own wealth, her own ease and her own complacency. But when you tell people... You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. They'll say that, but they won't do it. You get them to say, I love God and God alone. I will not worship idols. I will not take His name in vain, but the proof is in the pudding. Will they honor the Sabbath? One of the worst events in all of human history, particularly the Christian Church, and it is the basis for part of the founding and part of the error of this great nation of ours, is what Constantine did with the Edict of Milan in 313, when he Christianized, when he made the Christian Church under the, way of the, under the wing of the state. And there are evangelicals today that believe that is exactly what's to happen today. No, sir. That's not what's to happen. It's never going to be that way. Remember, the Sanhedrin, the lawyers of the day, they, what did they always do? They always tried to trip up the men of God, particularly the man of God, the Son of Man. And how did they do it? They said, well, listen Jesus, we want to ask you a po- political question. What's going to happen here and here? And this is what Jesus said. He said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and render unto God what is God's. Because Jesus Christ knows who put Caesar on the throne. The greatest churches, I want you to get this, the greatest churches in the history of the world, you can't name. But they were the ones that burned the brightest. Not Not for the man, the love of man, they burned the brightest for the love of God. And when God's covenant people, His church, the redeemed, begin to observe God the way God says, it will be a powerful testimony to a nation that's lost its way, that needs the old paths again. Because I'm going to tell you something, the Constitution isn't the Constitution anymore. John Adams says, this great document will cease to have its potency once this country no longer is Christian. Our nation is not. But boy, there's a church. But see, the churches that burn the brightest are not for the love of men. They're for the love of God. And that is why their love of man was so fruitful. The churches that bring people in that change communities, it's because they loved God so much. And their love for God made their love for man fruitful. So you say, well, James, we need to grow and we need to get a building. Well, let me ask you a question. Of the four commandments, what can you start doing right now that would show your love for God? Rest. Cease. Be still and know He is God. That doesn't sound like legalism, but I can already hear the charge being made. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. Christians all throughout history have tried to do this. Constantine tried to make the make Christianity the empire. Augustine wrote the great book, The City of God. John Calvin did the city did what was called the city state, the city state, uh, uh, and it goes on and on. But I'm going to tell you something. The only order is Christ Church, with the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and His people will fulfill at His coming. At our salvation and his coming at our resurrection. So I want you to write these down. These are just the musings from Cracker Barrel this morning. Here they are. Number one, brothers and sisters, the world is for the church, not the church for the world. The Journey Church is not here for Gainesville, Gainesville's here for us. We're not here for them, they're here for us. That is, we evangelize the community not by Christianizing the state. It is not our, I used to believe that. I don't anymore. Our job is not to Christianize the state. It cannot be Christianized. It's impossible. I can't elect enough officials to become, make them Christians. And I want you to know something. Because of that and because of this belief, we can build the church under any system whatsoever because a church is that powerful. You can build it under any system. If they tell us that, you know, this is what's going to happen, this is what you've got to do, you know what, go look at the church in China because I want you to know something. The most effective churches are also the churches that are the most jeopardized. They can't kill the church in China. They're trying. The Catholics gave in. Now the, now the Politburo of China picks who the bishops will be, not the, not the Roman prelate. So, okay. But I tell you what, there are people over there, they're giving their all for it. And the worst that can happen to us is they kill our bodies. Even so, Lord, come. Right? I I just tore my rotator cuff. I can't do this. I just tore it about three weeks ago. This hip needs to be amputated or put to sleep. And it's the good one. There's all that. I'm not, I told Rick this morning, I said, Rick, I've joined you. We're in here making coffee. I was done early at 9.30. I was totally finished. I came and I'm getting old like you. I heard everywhere. <laughs> Even so, Lord, come. But ladies and gentlemen, let me sum it up this way. The fourth commandment is a visible demonstration not only to you, But to your loved ones and your community, that the practice of worship and the practice of faith in public is the center of your life in God. And that you truly have come to the place when you want to go worship Him that you can say, I will have no will but His. And we're on the precipice of the greatest movement in history because God is putting this message in the hearts of men. Men in Christ preaching to churches in Christ. Not everybody in those churches is in Christ because they're not born again. If this doesn't make any sense to you, I have only one thing to say. You must be born again. It's true whether you need it or not. But I want you to know this. The church is so valuable. I have been asked, and just recently, why... Are you pastoring such a small congregation? And my answer is you don't know the value of those sheep. You find value in numbers. I see their roots, and I see their fruits. Fruits. This is home. And whatever we have to do, this is our lot. But brothers and sisters, I have now shared with you the four commandments that deal with the Lord. The first three, you can talk up all you want. But the fourth one is the proof that you believe the first three. And so my exhortation is to you as we prepare, we're just going to close with a benediction and a prayer. You do whatever it takes, dear friends. You do whatever it takes to make it where you can have one day, rest all day, and keep it holy to God. And you will see your life will completely change because you know why? You will not have to wonder, am I making God happy? You will be doing what He has commanded. And because He has commanded, He will do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. Just like we read this morning, the sower went out to sow. He didn't go out and till. He didn't go out and water. He went out and sowed. And he went to bed. Do likewise. Rest and keep this day holy. This is not a burden for you. This is a blessing. But don't believe anybody foolish enough to tell you it does not apply to us. Because the Bible is the Bible. And the fourth commandment is the fourth commandment. May God add his blessings to the preaching of the word.